All right, great to see you all this morning, and uh, well, this is uh, the third week in our last segment of Believe, our 10-week segment of Believe, and uh, it's on the gift of peace. Robert Mulholland said in his book, Invitation to a Journey, spiritual formation is the process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. Now let's pull up that title slide once more and here's our key idea for the week. I am free from anxiety because I have found peace with God, peace with others, and peace with myself. Is that true? I pray that it is for each of us here this morning. But as Mulholland says, it's a journey to develop these attributes, these virtues of Christ. And uh, really, they've got to be based on the foundational truths of Scripture, which we looked at last fall. And then we need to act upon those truths, which we began to look at right after the first of the year. And, And then those virtues, the fruit of the Spirit, will begin to emanate from our lives. We looked at love two weeks ago, the agape of God. We looked at uh, joy last week, and this morning it's peace. We want to live in peace, right? We want to be at peace, but our peace can be so quickly and easily disrupted. It might be that call from the doctor's office with a diagnosis. It might be uh, the siren behind us on the freeway. It might be uh, a pink slip, or maybe that call from a teenager saying, does, does our insurance cover the other guy's car? <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, our peace is gone. <laughs> peace is mentioned 430 times in the Bible. Talk about a religion of peace. This is it. And because Christ is the Prince of Peace. And that peace comes from all different angles. It covers various aspects of the peace that God wants us to have. Jesus' disciples didn't have a lot of peace in the upper room that night when they were with Jesus, the night that he would be betrayed. He, he told them he was leaving. They were fearful. They were troubled. And uh, he began to share with them. He said not to let their hearts be troubled. But then he gave them, and to us also, a gift. And this is where it's at in Romans, or excuse me, in John chapter 14, 27. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Now Jesus wasn't naive. He didn't promise them that from now on it would be smooth sailing. In fact, in just a few hours their world would be rocked. So in just a few moments Jesus added this in John chapter 16, same upper room discourse. He said, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you, have, you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I've overcome the world. So the peace that Jesus offers to his followers then and now is in the midst of tribulation and trials. And also it's found in him. That is so important. It's in me, he said, that you will find peace. So I want us to consider 
how we can receive this gift that he's made so available to us that all too often we don't enjoy. There's an outline in your bulletin. Here's three aspects of this peace. First of all, Jesus offers peace with God through the blood of his cross. He offers peace with God through the blood of his cross. Paul, in the letter to the church at Colossae, opens it, as he does many letters, with the salutation, grace and peace to you. And he goes through that first chapter speaking about Jesus and says he's the image of the invisible God, that he's the agent of creation, that all things have been created by him and for him, and he holds all things together, this Jesus. Not only that, he's the head of the body, the church. And then he says this in verse 19, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Fullness of deity. We know that from Colossians 2.9. And through him, Christ, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. It was the cross where peace was made between sinful man and a holy God. It's so important for us to understand that transaction that took place. Some of you are familiar with Keith and Kristen Getty. They, they live in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, they have been writing modern hymns for the last several years. I love their songs. My son Rocky and Anna Dara go to the same church in Nashville. They're friends of theirs. And uh, they are reviving hymns because of the lyrics and the depth of theology in their modern hymns. And um, we sang one of them this morning, In Christ Alone. And uh, just uh, if we could bring up that first verse. They want to just bring together the scope of the gospel in their hymns. And we'll just look at a, a part of it here. But I thought this really went with our message today. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. The, this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when strivings cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. When we stand in the love of Christ, we have peace. Now look at this next verse. In Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid, here in the death of Christ I live. Yesterday, I heard an interview with uh, Keith Getty. It was about an hour interview, actually. And during the course of that interview, the uh, interviewer said, I noticed a couple of years ago in 2013 that this song was caused quite a controversy. In fact, in Christianity Today, it said that because the author of it, and it was Keith Getty and uh, um, Stuart Townend wrote it back in 2001, uh, they were asked by a major denomination to change one of the lines in this particular verse. Um, because that denomination felt like it was offensive. Can you imagine what line that would be in, in these verses here? 
what would be so offensive there? And they had a committee in that, it's a mainline denomination that rejected it. And so they said, would you please change it? And Keith and Stewart said, no. And so it kept it out of 10,000 churches in their hymnal, uh, as that denomination would have been singing it. Let's go to the next slide. Here's the problem. They wanted till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied to be changed to till on that cross, as Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. Now, Keith Getty said in that interview, he said, that's true. The love of God was magnified through the cross, but as you look in the Old and New Testaments, the thread is that man needed to be reconciled to God and the point where that would happen would be where God's wrath would be poured out on his son on the cross. We can't miss that. And we tend to throw that aside and just make God's love mushy and gooey. But in fact, it was holy and there was righteous indignation. And we see in Scripture that we want to make God in our own image. We want to make a God that is our own creation. But Scripture says there was righteous anger towards sin and we need that we need that it's not our kind of anger or wrath his wrath will rectify every injustice in this world and scripture also says that sinners deserve this wrath this punishment of God it's a cup of wrath and that's the cup that Jesus prayed that would be remo removed from him in the garden of Gethsemane but he drank it for us. So we don't have to partake or be uh, struck with the wrath of God because our Savior took it. And that's why they wouldn't take it out of that hymnal and missed all those hymn, hymn books that it would go into because he felt like, no, this is important. Some, some things you just don't back off of. In fact, he mentioned J.I. Packer. J.I. Packer, British theologian, who wrote the book Knowing God, he said, God is not just unless he inflicts upon all sin and wrongdoing the penalty it deserves. While we may think it severe, we desperately need God's wrath, a holy and just response to evil to restore the broken world in which we live. And so, yeah, it was the cross. It was through the blood of the cross that Jesus shed where wrath was poured out, absorbed by Christ, so we are set free from that wrath. Paul, uh, Paul continues in verse 21 when he says, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. That would have been on the cross in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Before we came to know Christ, God was our enemy. I mean, we may not have consciously thought that, but we were alienated from him by our sin, we were either indifferent toward him or hateful toward him. But here's the thing about this enemy of ours. He loved us while we regarded him in one way or another as an enemy. And he was reaching out to rescue us even though we didn't know it. 
I read about uh, a kitten that was stranded on a rock in the middle of a rushing stream, couldn't get off the rock, and a couple of boys came along and wanted to rescue that kitten, and they would reach out with a stick or finally get close enough with their hands. What would the kitten do at that point? Yeah, scratch at him, spit at him. Thought they were trying to push him off into the water. And uh, finally, one of the kids realized there's only one way to do this and reached down and took that kitten and accepted the scratches and the bites that came with it. Well, that's just a little picture of what God has done for us in Christ. Uh, He came to rescue us and took the wounds that uh, were rightfully ours. He's made peace. Jesus has made peace. He offers us this peace with God through the blood of his cross. Secondly, Jesus offers peace within through a growing faith rooted in him. You move forward in this letter to the Colossian church and Paul says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Just as you've received Christ. How did we receive Christ? Through faith. And how then are we to live or walk? By faith. And here's the thing. As we're instructed in the faith in Christ, we are rooted and built up. And guess what happens then? We're overflowing with gratitude. When we are growing in faith, we're overflowing with gratitude. Why? Because we come to realize that whatever circumstance I'm in, I can trust God, that he's in control. My faith is deep enough to know that not only is he in control, but he loves me. He wants the best for me, and he will use even this for his good and for my good and for his glory. And so that deepening faith enables us, even before we know if our prayers are going to be answered, we can be thankful because we trust God as our Heavenly Father. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6. He said, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Your Heavenly Father knows you need these things. He said, those are the things that the pagans, those who don't know God, worry about and run after. But your Heavenly Father loves you. You don't need to worry about these things. So what do we worry about? Some of you say, well, I really wasn't worried here this morning. Well, let me share some things you could worry about, okay? This was in the Industrial uh, Industry Week magazine. Uh, number one, our own health or fitness, top the list, or lack of time with family or for leisure. Our children's problems, job-related stress, personal investments, estate planning, relationship with children, Aging, income level, or my marriage. That's not enough. Chapman University did a study a while back, and here's some more things that we now have to worry about, okay? Walking alone at night. I think that depends on where you live, for sure. But becoming a victim of identity theft is up there. And now becoming a victim of random shooting is something that people are concerned about. I don't know who issued the quote. It's an anonymous quote 
but it's a powerful word picture. It says this, Worry is a thin stream of fear that trickles through the mind, which, if encouraged, will cut a channel so wide that all other thoughts will be drained. Jesus, in Mark 10, is coming with his disciples to the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And you remember that scene? And, and uh, Mary is seated there listening to Jesus. And, and what's Martha doing? She's out in the kitchen, banging pots and pans around, trying to put something together for this hungry crew. And she's growing frustrated. Her piece is missing. And she is upset at her sister and comes in and complains to Jesus. Come on, uh, Jesus, why don't you tell Mary to help me out in the kitchen? And then Jesus said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted about so many things, but only one thing here is important. She was missing the opportunity to be at Jesus' feet. The word worried that Jesus used there is a Greek word, merimnao, and it means to be divided, a divided mind or a distracted mind. And when our mind is distracted or divided, we can't be focused on Jesus and what he wants us to know in that moment, that uh, he's got the situation in hand. I read this week that fog that uh, covers seven city blocks and is 100 feet deep won't even fill one glass of water. That's how much water moisture there is in that. Worry is a lot like fog. There's not near as much to be concerned about as we thought there was, and yet it clouds our vision. We can't see to maneuver and get where we really need to get because it's blocking us. It affects our health, too, and some of us know that. You ever spend a night tossing and turning because we're worried about things, you know? How about uh, loss of energy? It can give us headaches. Actually, uh, heart disease can be a product of worry as well as high blood pressure and nausea. So the key, the question we need to answer when we're worried is, who's in charge around here? This is a matter of control. Because as long as I think I'm in control of the situation, I'm the one responsible to handle it. And uh, that's a heavy burden. But Scripture says, actually, God's in control. And once we come to understand that and trust Him, things change. Tim Keller's definition of peace speaks to this. I love this definition. He says, peace is the confidence and trust in God's competent control of your life. Peter said, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Just, just confirm, further confirming that. And he, I believe that as our faith is rooted in Christ and it's built up to where we trust him more and more, we're going to have that peace within. We know we have peace with God through the blood of his cross. We have peace within as we trust him. And then... Jesus offers peace with others through actions reflecting his heart. Next slide, please. This peace that we want with others is often forestalled because we really haven't gotten peace within. A lot of times I think that we don't 
have peace with the people in our family or maybe in our workplace, even in our church, because we've got some unresolved issues in our own hearts. And we need to just receive the peace personally. So peace with others, uh, as a matter of fact, comes through actions reflecting his heart. And um, Paul in chapter 3, verse 12, says this to believers, okay? So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Those are the fruit of the Spirit. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, here's the kicker, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Wow. Did he wait for us to make it up before he forgave us? No. He made a decision. Okay. Had a, a friend in the first service tell me, I'm still working on forgiving that lady that hit me with the car as he was a pedestrian. Just a special guy. Recently been coming to our church. And I told him, I said, well, that lady that hit you, she's probably fine. She's not even worried about it. But if you can let go of it, if you can forgive, you're free. Think of it this way. He said, put on all these things. When you get up in the morning, we put on our clothing, okay? Well, we need to add to this a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, patience, and uh, gentleness. Put these things on and choose in relationship. We're going to extend them because Christ has extended them to us. And forgiveness, absolutely. Paul says this then in verse 14. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. It pulls us together. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. This isn't just an individual thing for believers. This is something we share in as a body. We're called together in peace in one body. And so we encourage one another. And the unity of the body of Christ is paramount in terms of witness to the world. And so we demonstrate to the world that Christ has come as we stand together in peace. When God's love fills our hearts, peace rules in our lives. Paul said in Romans 12, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. It's not always possible, right? Sometimes that person just doesn't want peace. But the question isn't what that person wants or doesn't want. The question is, what are we willing to do to attempt to have peace? Are we willing to pray for that person regularly? Are we willing to forgive that person? Are we willing to ask forgiveness? Are we willing to apologize to that person? I mean, when a politician or a sports figure does something really stupid and then they come out and apologize, sometimes it's not an apology at all, is it? And oh, if I've offended anyone, I'm sorry. That's not an apology. When we apologize to one another, we need to name it and claim responsibility. This is what I did, and I'm really sorry, and I'd ask you for, to, for forgive me. We need to be willing to humble ourselves and reach out, and as far as it depends on us, seek peace with one another. 
peace from God, peace with God, peace within, peace with others is available, but it's not automatic. And that brings me to this point. Jesus offers peace in every situation, but we've got to believe it and receive it. Just like coming to Christ, we had to believe the gospel and receive Christ. Now if we want the gift of peace, we've got to believe that it's available, and we've got to receive it. And uh, Paul's, Paul's words in Philippians, kind of a key verse in your Believe reading this week, uh, express how we can just draw on that peace daily. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication or petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here's the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's like there's a word picture in the original language of a sentry at your heart's door. And when those worries come, pushed away because you're trusting in the Lord with thanksgiving. And we can thank the Lord because he is in control and he loves us. Now some of you, probably most of you, are familiar with what is called the serenity prayer. It goes like this. One lady had it on a bracelet this morning. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That's famous prayer. In fact, it's been perpetuated through the recovery groups, AA, NA, because they say that almost every meeting. It's in the blue book, the big blue book. And... Uh, Many people don't know that there are eight more lines to that. This was written by Reinhold Niebuhr, who was a German pastor back in the Nazi era. And these eight additional lines really tell where the power comes from. Here, here's what they are. Living one day at a time, which is what Jesus said we ought to do. Enjoying one moment at a time. Accepting hardship as the pathway to peace. Taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you, God, will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. So, do you have peace? I want to just ask you in closing, I don't know that everyone here has peace with God. I do know that it's been made available through the blood of the cross, but you need to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins because God loves you that much and receive Christ into your life. And during the moments of communion that we have in a few moments of quietness, I just encourage you to pray. Believe and ask Christ into your life, trusting that his death on the cross was the place where the wrath of God was poured out so that you don't have to ex ever experience that. No condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. Secondly, do you have peace within? And if not, why not? Trust your Father. Yeah, tell Him your concerns. Ask Him for your requests with thanksgiving, but receive that peace. Not just this morning, but throughout this week. And then finally, peace with others. Wow. Is there a broken relationship? Someone you've just been avoiding? Someone that you have having a really difficult time with? 
Have you done what you can to seek to make peace? This week, make a commitment. As we contemplate the sacrifice that made peace with God possible, let's make then a commitment to pursue peace with all people in our context. Let's bow together for prayer. Lord, we're so grateful that uh, we can have peace because you're the Prince of Peace who made it possible. We ask that you'd help us to not only believe and receive, but then to act out this peace in our relationships. I pray this in your name. Amen.